0: Let's pray and then we'll dive into this together. Father, I thank you so much for this church family that I get to be a part of. I thank you, Lord, for each and every person here and those watching online and the fact that we get to do life together and uh, follow you together and walk together and and share what you 're doing in our lives together and as we begin a, a new year two thousand and twenty three man lord it 's incredible to just think about. Um Lord, we, we just want to be open to all that you have for us. And so God, I pray today that as we look at your word, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would do a work in us. And we love you and we thank you that you've given us your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was thinking this week about some things that just have a tendency to kind of blow my mind. You know, the little uh, uh, emoji of, you know, boom, you know, the mind being blown. Well, these are a few things I was thinking about this week that that literally blow my mind. And uh, one is the fact that our earth right now is spinning 67,000 miles per hour through space. No wonder you feel tired at the end of the day, right? (laughs) You've traveled a long way. I mean, it's incredible to think about. And and yet there's this thing, gravity, that just holds everything together and keeps us from, you know, just flying off into space. That literally just blows my mind, all right? Another thing is the fact that a 747 full of passengers and fuel at takeoff weighs over 900,000 pounds, isn't that incredible thing about? That's equivalent of 35 double-decker buses. Okay? And yet somehow that thing gets off and goes in the air. That is something every single time that I see a plane, I get on a plane that literally blows my mind. And then this is another one. NASA and spacecraft and the fact that a rocket heading off into space is traveling somewhere between 17,000 and 25,000 miles per hour as it's heading into space. And there's a couple people at the front of it, you know, and, and it just happens. And that that just blows my mind. Here's a little piece of trivia that blows my mind. Maybe you didn't know this, but did you know that Miss Piggy and Yoda are both voiced by the same person? <laughs> that blows my mind. You know, think about Same guy, Frank Oz, that he, he does that. Here's another thing, trivia, that blows my mind is that there, there are no children left on earth who were born in the 20th century. Everyone born in the 20th century is now officially an adult. That blows my mind, and it's depressing at the same time (laughs) to think about that. But here's the biggest thing that blows my mind. It's the fact that the God who made the universe desires to have a relationship with us. And that when we talk to him, he listens. He hears us. He's attuned to our prayers. That blows my mind. Well, today we're beginning this two-week series on prayer, as I said, leading up to our week of prayer and fasting. And our week of prayer and fasting, if you're not familiar with that, this is a very, very powerful week in the life of our church, where we set aside a week, a Monday through Friday, to gather together three different times. We gather at 6.45 in the morning, at noon, and then every single evening, each time for just an hour, to pray and seek the Lord together. The theme of that week is going to be presence. Jesus, the the Bible tells us that in his presence is fullness of joy. And I really, really want to encourage you to plan on being a part of that week. And also to lay aside some days, some meals, some times, maybe even the whole week to fast. Because you see, the idea in fasting is that something happens to us and our spiritual sensitivity and antenna is heightened when we deprave ourselves of food and we seek the Lord in prayer. And so the idea is at times when you normally would be eating, you're going to be praying and and we're going to do this together as a church. And every single year that we've done it, it has just been incredibly powerful. More about that and fasting next week. But today we're going to talk about the idea of persistence in prayer, which is the theme of many of the teachings that Jesus gave on prayers, the idea of praying with persistence. So I want you to look at verse 7, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 11, and you can follow along as I read as we introduce this subject. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, and give good things to those who ask him. Now, this is a passage that oftentimes gets taken out of context. In the word faith movement today, they love to use this passage to say that if you ask in faith anything, just believing, God is telling you that he is going to answer your desire. And so they paint this picture of, of God as kind of the cosmic vending machine or the cosmic genie that just wants to, you know, answer and, and obey everything that you command of him. But it's very, very important. In looking at this, that we understand the context of this teaching. Because this teaching is in the midst of a very famous teaching that Jesus gave here in Matthew that begins in chapter 5 and goes all the way through chapter 7. And it's a teaching that is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And the, the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is kingdom living. It is meant to help align our hearts to Jesus as our King and our mindset to live as people committed to his kingdom. That's the theme of this entire sermon, and it's the theme of this passage where he's talking about prayer. And this whole sermon begins in chapter 5, verse 3, with this statement that Jesus makes when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And to be poor in spirit means to recognize your utter dependence upon god for everything so it's talking about living in utter dependency upon our king and his resources and so the text that is before us today is not a carte blanche for our material desires but rather it tells us how to pray for the character of the kingdom in our lives. And get this, the the theme or the goal of the kingdom, God's kingdom for each of us, it's this, it's Christ-likeness. You know, John 3.16 is probably the most famous Bible verse um, in the world, Probably a close second to it, though, is this one in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You know this verse. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. How many of you, you know that verse, right? You probably memorized that verse. You've heard that verse. You've seen it on plaques. But what's very, really interesting about that verse is this, what is the good that he's talking about? When he says that all things work together for good, what is the good that he's talking about? Well, the answer to that question is in the very next verse. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says this, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good that God is working all things out in our lives is to make us like Jesus. And that is the goal of kingdom living. That's the goal, the focus is to make us more like Jesus. And that's what we need to understand as we consider this text today and this idea of persistent prayer is that the context is bringing our hearts before the Lord and aligning ourselves with his kingdom mindset. It's living for Jesus and his kingdom in the midst of the kingdom of this world that we're living in, that we are dual citizens. We belong to his kingdom while we live in the midst of this kingdom. So it's very, very important that we understand the context is kingdom living, kingdom mindset, Kingdom likeness, that we are becoming, being transformed into the image of our king. Another thing that is key to understanding Jesus' teaching on prayer is how he wants us to approach God in prayer. And we see that also in this sermon. In fact, if you go back a page to chapter 6, notice verse 9. Jesus, talking about prayer, says this. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father... Now, when he says that, that would have been such a radical new concept to his disciples. But you see, the children of Israel, the people of the Jewish people, they, they didn't even feel like they could uh, uh, say God's name. Because it was so holy and it was so you know incredible, so the idea of approaching God as Father, as Daddy, is really the word. It's Abba was something that was mind blowing to them. It was something that was a radical new concept that Jesus was describing, and Jesus used this same analogy in the preceding verses there in chapter six. If you look above, he's talking about you know seeking God and, and going into the secret place and he says, and your father, when you go into the secret place to pray, your father who sees in secret, he's going to meet you there. So with this language, Jesus is telling us something about prayer that we really need to, it's important for us to understand that prayer is primarily a private thing and it is an intimate thing. That your father invites you to come into his presence and be with him. But Jesus also wants us to understand that it's not just any father. It's not like, you know, hey, pops, you know, it, it, it's our father who art in heaven. And then he says this, hallowed be your name. And that that phrase hallowed is greatly revered, be your name. Name And so in other words, it's understanding. Yes, God is my father, but he's God almighty. But this is the thing for those of us who are believers that is so incredible for us to grasp is that God almighty, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who sustains the world today by the word of his power, he wants you to see him as your father. Isn't that incredible to think about? He wants you to approach him as your father. Now, if you're not a believer here in Jesus today, know this, God is your creator and he wants to be your father, but he only becomes your father as you open up your heart to Jesus Christ. Now, I know when we talk about God as our father, that's Hard for some of you because you have a strained relationship with your earthly father. Or your earthly father wasn't a, a great guy. Maybe your earthly father was quick to anger. Maybe he was unattentive in your life. Maybe he was absent in your life. And for those of you that, with who that's your story, can I encourage you in this way? Stop seeing your heavenly father through the lens of your earthly one. And instead, start evaluating your earthly father by your heavenly one. Start looking at it in that way. Maybe your earthly dad didn't care and looked at you more as a nuisance. That's not the heart of your heavenly father. Your heavenly father can't stop thinking about. And the Bible tells us that he dances over you with singing. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? That God, as he thinks about you, that he's right now, he's dancing over you. He's like, that is my child. Your earthly father may may have been very self-absorbed. Know this, your heavenly father was so into you that he absorbed your pain on the cross to spare you of the eternal consequences of your sinful choices. And it's that heavenly father who did that for you, who invites us to boldly and unashamedly come into his presence. You know, there's a picture of John F. Kennedy that I've always appreciated. This picture of him, it's, it's hard to see, but in sitting in the Oval Office and he's, you know, looking at some paper, probably deciding some aspect of, you know, the fate of the, the known world in his hands. And there underneath his desk is his son, John Jr., peering out. And his relationship with his dad is completely different from everybody else's. It's uh, that's not you know my dad the ruler of the known world that that's my dad and I need some Cheerios you know I mean that's the the focus and I love that I love that aspect. And that's the thing that that God wants us to understand. And this is what Jesus, he introduces this idea of God as our father in Matthew chapter 6. And then he repeats that theme in many of his teachings on prayer, including here in chapter 7, where he gives this comparison. And he says, you know, if you, earthly dads being evil, and the idea there is evil in comparison to God... He's not insulting us. He's just being real. That God is completely perfect and totally holy, and so in comparison to Him, we are evil. He says, "If you know how to give good gifts to your kids, so when they ask for bread, you're not giving them a stone, or they ask for a fish, you're not giving them a scorpion, because you're, you're you're you can't, you know you want to take care of your kids." He says, "If you, being evil, know how to do it, how much more will your heavenly Father give what is good to those who ask Him?" So I want us this morning, let's consider this invitation. Look at verse 7 again. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, and knock. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, faith asks, hope seeks, and love knocks. I want us to consider each one of these words, ask, is the Greek word ateo, and it means to ask with a sense of urgency, to ask with a sense of desperation. Ask speaks of calling out with an urgency, expecting that he is listening and expecting that he's going to answer. You know, when I call my wife on her cell phone, when I call her, I'm expecting that she's going to answer because it's me, you know? (laughs) So when I call and and my name or my face pops up on her phone, I'm expecting that she's going to pick up, that she's going to answer when I call. But you know what? That's not always the case. Oftentimes, I get her voicemail, and it's a nice voicemail. Hi, hi. She says, Denise, sorry, I couldn't answer your call, but if you leave a message, I'll get back to you. You know, have a blessed day. I mean, it's a, great, it's a great message. Or sometimes when I text her, you know, I get one of those pre-generated texts that, you know, hey, I love you, but I can't talk right now. That's not what I want, though. Can you tell this bugs me? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is saying that you can pray, you can ask, you can come before God and expect that he's on the other line, that you're not going to get a voicemail, that you're not going to get dead air, that the reception is always good. It Reminds me of the rabbi from Israel that was visiting his friend, the priest, there in Rome at the Vatican. And he was in the priest's office, and he noticed that on his desk there were two phones. There was a black phone and a red phone. And he thought, he asked him, he goes, why do you have two phones? And he says, well, the black one is, is for our you know, local, land. it's our landline for calls around here. And the red phone is our, is our God phone. But we only use that one in in emergencies because the rate is really high. It's $100 a minute. And uh, so the rabbi took note of that. And, you know, they had their time. And he went on. And then about a couple months later, the priest came to Israel, to Jerusalem. And he came to visit the the rabbi. And he's in his office. And he knows he also has two phones on his desk, a black phone and a blue phone. And he says, you know, I see you have two phones. How come you have two phones? And he says, well, you know, like you, the black phone, that's our, our phone for local calls. And, and our land, it's our landline. Blue phone is our God phone. And the priest said, so how expensive is your phone? He goes, oh, here in Jerusalem, um, heaven's a local call. It's free. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know, the same thing is true for, for you and I as believers. It's always a local call. When you are seeking the Lord, he is always there. He is always listening, and he desires that we would come to him. So the word ask is to come with a sense of urgency, desperation, and expectation. The word seek, it's zeteo. It means to attempt to learn something by careful investigation or searching. It's seeking. Seeking is asking plus acting. So in other words, it implies an earnest petition coupled with an active endeavoring to fulfill our needs. Seeking implies that you're looking for something of great value, which begs the question, do you prioritize prayer? Do you view spending time with God and talking to God as something of great Value. That's the idea behind the word to seek. And then there's this word knock. It's kruo in the Greek, and it means to wrap. Or to strike at a door for entrance. And the thing about knocking is you never knock once, right? You never go and just go boom on a door. No, you, you knock on it several times. And, 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 and so the three words that Jesus is using here are meant to convey an attitude of growing intensity of growing persistence. And each word is stronger than the previous word. And so the intensity is growing. And so is the persistence. And the persistence is underscored in the fact that all the three words are in what's called the present imperative, which means you could read it this way. You might want to write this in your Bible. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. In other words, don't stop. Jesus is calling for a lifestyle of persistent prayer. Now that stands in sharp contrast to the flash in the pan, easy beliefism type of Christianity that we hear so much of today. That if you just ask, if you just seek, if you just, you know, believe God is going to do what you want him to do. Jesus is saying, no, there's this idea of being persistent in your seeking of me. So this is the question that I want us to consider today. This is the question that I want us to answer, why? Why does God call us to be persistent in seeking after him? I want to give you three reasons. Number one, it acknowledges our dependency upon God. You see, all of us have this tendency to want to be independent. A lot of us, if we're honest, we're we're like my five-year-old grandson, who at times can be so incredibly independent. He's, He's, you know, wanting to do something, and I'll say, hey, Josiah, you want me to help it?" No, I can do it myself. That's his answer. And so I smile, I say, okay, and I just watch him. 15, 20 minutes go by, and I just watch him struggle. I watch him get frustrated. And then he'll go, Poppy, can you help me? (laughs) And I'll smile and say, Yeah, I was just waiting for you to ask. Just waiting for him to come to the end of himself. I think today, this is a word from the Lord for some of you today, God has been waiting for you to come to the end of yourself. And to call out to him. He's just watching watching you struggle, smiling. He's got his eye on you. And he so is desiring that you would call out to him and he wants to respond. And so God is waiting for some of you to come to the end of yourself today. And here's the thing, the more that we keep coming to God, the more that it communicates our dependency upon him. I love what Pastor J.D. Greer had to say about this. He said, the core of effective prayer is desperation, not discipline. I like that. Prayer is not merely a discipline. It's coming to God in desperation. It's coming with an attitude of, of the heart that says, God, I can't make it without you. Greer went on to say that He says, we should never pray for more than 20 minutes, but we should never go more than 20 minutes without prayer. And I like that idea. I think it indicates a healthier attitude toward God than the person who's going to pray for an hour and then go off and and, and throughout their day with with a mindset of like that God doesn't even exist. No, a sense of I'm seeking him. I'm coming to him all the time because I'm that dependent upon him. So number one, persistence in prayer acknowledges our dependency upon God. Number two, it reminds us to look to God as our father. You know, Jesus gave two different illustrations on this idea of persistent prayer. The first was in Luke chapter eleven, where he tells the story about a man and his family who are asleep one night, and it's midnight. And suddenly, he hears a knocking on the door, and it's his neighbor. And in that culture, where hospitality is really, really important, this guy had a friend show up at his house out of the blue um, at midnight, and he needed to. He wanted. He didn't have any bread to serve his friend, so he goes to his neighbor next door to wake him up and he's knocking on the door and saying, Hey, I had a friend come and I need some bread. You know, can you get up? And his friend's like, no, go away. It's like the whole family. We're all asleep. I don't want to wake up. I don't want, I want to get up and wake up everybody else. I'm not going to help you. But the friend was relentless. And so he keeps knocking and keep knocking until the guy finally gets up and gives him the bread. And the point that Jesus makes is he gives it to him, not because he's his friend, but because he just wants him to go away. And then it's interesting, right after that story, Jesus tells this same, gives the same teaching that we're looking at here in Matthew. He's, so this is something Jesus taught more than once about asking and seeking and knocking. And then Jesus told another story in Luke chapter 18, and this time it's a selfish Judge. And there's this poor widow who comes to this selfish judge for this specific need. And at first, the judge was not interested in the poor widow. He just wants to send her away. But she was persistent. She was relentless. And she keeps coming. And she wasn't going to stop until she got her answer. And once again, the selfish judge ends up obliging her just to get her out of his hair. He gives her what she wants. And it's interesting. Jesus began that story in Luke 18 with these words. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. And here's the point in both of these stories that Jesus is making. He's saying this. God is not a sleeping friend. And God is not a selfish judge. God is your heavenly father who loves you and he's for you and he's into you. So come to him as your daddy. Come to him with a childlike faith in approaching him. I love what Winston Churchill said when he says a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity and an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. If the believer who has that childlike faith, they're the optimist. They're seeing the opportunity in every difficulty because they're factoring God into the equation. And nothing is too hard for our God. The psalmist said in Psalm 46 verse 1, the Lord is a very present help in time of trouble. You know what that means? He's never bothered when we come to him and say, Lord, I, I need help again. He's not like, oh, not you again. You know, it's interesting. My grandson, Josiah, who I said was five, he, he kind of lives between these two realms. On the one hand, he wants to be fiercely independent on certain things where he's like, you know, no, I can do it on my own. But then there are other things that he knows that he's totally dependent upon me in order for it to happen. And on those things, he's relentless. So if he wants to, for instance, go to the park, a little skate park by our house and ride his bike in the bowl, he'll be like, Poppy, can we go to the park? Poppy, can we go to the park? Poppy, can we go to the bar? Are we going to the bar today? Or if he wants a cookie and he's not big enough to get up where Mimi keeps the cookies, he'll be like, you know, Poppy, can I have a cookie? He knows the soft, You know. <laughs> But sometimes I'm like, you know, Josiah, it's, it's too close to dinner. No, you can't have a, you can't have a cookie. you got to wait till after dinner. You don't want to ruin your appetite. And he's such a negotiator. <laughs> and he's learned the word actually. So he'll say, actually, and then he'll have this, you know, like little spiel, you know, his little uh, uh, lawyer where he's going to d- try to convince me, you know. He's relentless. And sometimes I'll be honest with you. He is so relentless, it's exasperating where I'm just like, Josiah, go to your room because you're driving me crazy. Know this, God is never that way. He never feels that way about you. He's never like, oh man, Rob again. Like, oh man, like, are you kidding me? What is wrong with this guy? Can he do anything by himself? No, he wants us to think that way in coming to him. So he wants us to keep coming because it builds that relationship with him as our father. And here's number three is that persistence in prayer uh, realigns our heart with his heart. The psalmist declared in, in Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, that doesn't mean that as you're delighting in the Lord, he's just going to give you whatever you want. You, you guys know. That, that, that What that means is as you're delighting in him, your desires start to change your desires start to become more like his desires. There's a heart transformation that begins to happen. The more time that I spend with the Lord, the more my desires start getting shaped into his desires. And the more time that I spend with him, the more my heart gets realigned with his kingdom. And his desires become my desires. And, and there's happens to be in you. You've experienced this. I've experienced this. That the, the, There are certain things that begin to happen that there's a shift that happens in my ambitions. There's a shift that happens in my desires. There's a shift that happens in my priorities as, as the things that I used to think were so important that I was pursuing after become less important. Because my heart is becoming more like his heart. And in that process of drawing near to him, we are becoming more like him. And the things that matter the most to our heavenly father start to become the things that matter the most to us. And so persistence in prayer communicates our dependency upon God. It reminds us to come to him as our father. And as we do, it realigns our heart with his heart. And so precious church, can I encourage you and me here in 2023? Let's be people of persistence in prayer, in seeking after the Lord. Knowing that God is seeking to use it to teach us to be dependent upon him. Knowing that he's drawing us into a deeper intimacy with him, as our Father, and knowing that he's seeking to align our hearts with his heart, so that what breaks his heart is the things that breaks our heart. And let's not lose our heart in seeking after him. let's not lose heart, as Jesus said, especially when it relates to the idea of praying for people in our lives that don't know Jesus. People that are lost, who if they died right now would spend eternity separated from God. It was George Mueller who wrote one of the most influential books on prayer, such a great prayer warrior, Mueller tells a story about committing to pray for the salvation of five young men every single day. He prayed for 18 months before the first one was converted, every single day. And he says he thanked God and pressed on in prayer. He prayed every day for five years before the second one was converted, and another six years before the third one was converted. 36 years later, he wrote that the last two were still not converted. But he says, I hope in God, and I pray on, and I look for the answer. They're not converted yet, but I believe they will be. Then in 1897, 52 years after he started praying for these five individuals, the final two came to faith but it was a few years after Mueller himself had died and went to heaven. I read that and I think, what a great example of persistent prayer. Precious church, can I encourage you? Let's pray and not lose heart. Amen? And if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, know this, God is your creator and he wants to be your father. And he's inviting you today to come into his family. That's why he sent his son Jesus to leave heaven and come to this earth. So that he could go to the cross and pay the price for your sins and my sins. And he's inviting you today to open up your heart to him. Maybe you're here today and you have at one time given your life to Christ. You professed faith in Christ. Maybe you walked with him for a little while, but, but you've walked away and you've been, been just living in rebellion. You're a prodigal son. You're a prodigal daughter. And your father today, he, he's inviting you. He's asking you to say, will you come home? Will you come home? And know this. There have been people in your life who love you, who've been praying for you, that you would turn to Jesus, that you would come back to Jesus. And I can't think of a better way here on the second Sunday in 2023 for you to start this new year than to get right with God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much, Lord, that you are the God who hears. That you're the God who invites us to come into your presence, to meet with you. And you hear us. And you desire that intimacy with us. We thank you that you are our Father. For those of us here who have given our lives to Jesus. But Lord, I pray for anybody here who hasn't, or anybody watching online who hasn't, or for anybody here that that maybe at one time professed faith in you, but they've walked away from you, and they've been living in rebellion. They're that that prodigal son or daughter, and, and you, right now, as their father, you're calling them to yourself to come back home. As as creator, you're, you're calling that person who's never given their life to you to enter into that relationship with you and go from where you would go from being their creator and their judge to being their father, the one who loves them.